it didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket, it turned around and looked at me. They looked up and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop and he's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping up thing. Their, their, their face is like twitching. to Bigfoot Society, a podcast where we focus on cryptids, the strange, and the unexplained of this world. If you've got a story or something weird to share, send an email over to me at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. And now, on with the show. All right, Bigfoot Society, I have the privilege of talking to a new friend today. I've got Chanel, who's a Bigfoot researcher from the Mount Rainier area in Washington State. How's it going, Chanel? It's going great. I am so excited, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Is there anything else that our listeners uh, should know about you to to set the context before we start uh, talking about your research? Yeah, I think um, there's one really big point. Um, Before... I would say about three years ago, um, before my encounter, my very first encounter, I was not into Bigfoot. So I'm not one of these Bigfoot fanatics that, you know, for 10, 15 years has been obsessed with Bigfoot. Um, I actually became obsessed with Bigfoot after I had my encounter. So I feel like that's important for people to understand that I wasn't just, you know, um, obsessed with Bigfoot or anything like that. I was just kind of like a normal gal. Um, I'm a nanny. I've worked with kids for a long time. So this just was kind of like, thrown on my doorstep and then one thing after another. And now I just can't uh, deny the fact that um, I'm having all these encounters for a reason. And and so that's Mm -hmm. what led to the research. So I guess I should just start with that. I think that's a good place to start because your story is very different than most people that come on here where you don't have the, I watched all the TV shows with my parents and fell in love with Bigfoot when I watched In Search of or Monster Quest and stuff like that. Yours is very different. Uh, it's a very cool story. I lived in Tahoe for um, just under a decade, loved it. Um, but I would also travel a lot for work. So I was kind of in Tahoe half the year and traveling for work the other half the year. Um, so I would often camp with my friends and we kind of knew that Tahoe gets really busy with tourists and stuff. So we would look for places that are just like way out there, no people um, looking for that like, escape and we always knew all the secret spots so we went really really far in the backwoods out um, near desolation wilderness and so when we came back from that camping trip the only thing I can say after doing research now in the in the moment I didn't have a clue like I said I, I wasn't into Bigfoot I didn't have any clue about Bigfoot whatsoever so when I came back from this camping trip now thinking about it um, I must have had some scent um, on my truck that was foreign to the Bigfoot that was in the area that I was currently living. So I had moved down off the mountain from Tahoe and I was living in Placerville, California. I was living on an eight acre property um, 
with the family I was nannying for. And it was COVID, so we were spending a lot of time outside, just stuck on the property, but it was nice because we had eight acres. So we would, we were playing laser tag and running around the property and doing treasure hunts. And I was doing outside projects. I was making like a patio area for um, like picnics underneath the tree. There were all these string lights that I put and just cute, like fancy summer things. And, you know, everybody needed something to keep them busy during COVID. So, um, so we went camping I came back and I was finishing up um, my outdoor picnic area project, um, you know, doing all the shoveling and moving all the rocks and stuff and hauling it. And it was, it was a lot of work. Um, but I had my cousin come visit um, like the next day. So I really wanted everything to be ready. And my cousin and I are very similar. She's just like the brunette version of me. We're really close. Um, we're really wild, just like crazy, silly chicks. We love to make each other laugh and be really goofy. So when she came to visit, um, I was excited to show her this picnic area. We were drinking wine and like, you know, we weren't super drunk or anything, but we were just having dinner and a couple glasses of wine and we were getting up in the tree. Uh, it was like this really cool, I don't know, twisty, windy tree that we could climb up in. And so we were like, let's take pictures in the tree. So we were being really goofy and silly that night, which we usually Hey, Rochelle, big shout out. <laughs> we're always goofy. So anyways, um, I know she'll watch this, but anyhow, so we're having fun. And um, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, once we'd kind of like come down out of the tree, we were just kind of sitting there finishing up. We were actually going to head in pretty soon. Um, we were kind of like getting everything ready with the plates and stuff to bring inside. And all of a sudden, that's when it happened. And when I say that's when it happened, I, I feel like my heart pounds when I talk about it because it was really a life-changing experience. Um, Again, I lived in Tahoe for a decade. I grew up in Idaho. I've been um, hiking and backpacking my whole life. I'm 35 now. I'm a very experienced hiker. And I've heard tons of animal sounds, birds. I've heard cougars. I've heard fox. Um, and I've actually seen these animals when they're making the sounds. So it's not just assumptions. Like I, I have a lot of experience um, with understanding animal sounds. And especially in California, I lived there for, I don't know, 15 years. So when we heard a sound um, that scared us so badly, we ran in the house um, out of terror, out of sheer terror. I mean, that's when you know, like something isn't right here. So we heard a whoop, we heard a monkey whoop. So Rochelle, you know, your brain's trying to rationalize what the heck did we just hear? So Rochelle thought it was a bird because we had peacocks out there. We had a lot of different, um, you know, crazy animals running around out there and, and there were peacocks or one of them. But I was really familiar with the peacock sounds at that point because I'd heard them all the time. They're really annoying and they do kind of a honk. Um, so I heard a monkey. I heard what I mean. And it's funny because when I heard the sound, it was so it was such a high pitched, high octave whoop. Um, and also, I should tell everybody um, my background in opera. So I got a scholarship in opera right out of school. I studied opera. I took private vocal lessons. I'm a vocalist. So. I really do understand pitch and tone and high octaves and stuff like that. So to me, I, I heard a monkey. I, I looked up even, um, we both kind of looked up. We, we heard the sound, we looked up and we were expecting to see a monkey in a tree. Um, but the crazy thing was, was the area where we were hearing the sound, all there was was my camper. I was getting ready to sell um, my camper. I had like a little old camper and, and it was in the middle of COVID, everybody was buying campers. So I was like, I'm gonna sell it. So my camper was about, oh, I don't know, seven and a half feet high. And it almost sounded like the sound was coming just above that. 
And again, we're thinking like, we just heard a monkey in a tree. So we look up, but there's not a tree in that area. The tree, the closest tree that would have an area up high was the one we were just in. It was right next to us. It's certainly not where we heard the sound from. So it was really perplexing because we're like, this just, this monkey sound just came from up high. There's no tree right there, but my camper's right there. So I think looking back on it over and over and over and over, replaying it in my head a million times, um, I think uh, there was a Bigfoot standing behind my camper, um, just watching us being really quiet, um, you know, the whole time watching us just goof around and be crazy and silly. Um, and it was loud. It was so loud. Like I said, we ran in the house. Um, so at that time, I think it's important for me to say, I didn't think it was Bigfoot in that moment. I did not. I didn't even consider Bigfoot for like maybe six months down the line. I researched for about six months. I researched um, nocturnal animal sounds, you know, bird sounds, cougars, um, you know, when bobcats fight and when cougars fight. Yeah. Um, I looked up owls. Uh, you know, sometimes a barred owl can get a little whoopy almost sounding. Um, Absolutely. But anyways, yeah, so I, I spent all this time and I couldn't find anything even remotely close. The only thing that I could find even remotely close was a video of a Saimang. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's a Saimang ape. And those are the apes that you see at the zoo with those big, you know, um, their throat kind of puffs out and they squeeze it down sure. and they can make those really high pitched sounds. Almost like when you're like letting the air out of a balloon. Um, that was the closest I could find. And then I started talking to my buddy from high school who had an encounter himself. And we started messaging each other. And he was like, you know what? You might have had a Bigfoot encounter. He goes, what it sounds like what you went through was really similar to what I went through. And he had rocks thrown at him. He's my partner, my research partner, Kevin. Um, he had rocks thrown at him and a whoop. Um, and so he showed me some Bigfoot stuff. And that was it. I was like, this is what I experienced. Once I started really thinking about it, that was when my memory was um, more clear about leading up because I thought I was like, why did this thing whoop at me? You know, why, just why? And it was on our, it was on our property. There were houses around. Like I was just like, this is just nuts. So once I, I started doing all the research um, and realizing all the common denominators of all these people's encounters, I realized, and I was really glad that I even spoke up, that a few days prior to the whoop, when we heard the whoop, Rochelle and I, I was out exercising. Um, I had just recovered from a major surgery and um, I was exercising to just try to get like myself back to normal. I was really going through it. It was a really, really, really rough surgery. Yeah. I had diverticulitis, um, crazy disease, crazy surgery. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because of, I don't know, whatever, it's just gross, <laughs> but anyways, you know, after a big major surgery, you're trying to get back your muscle memory. And I was always really active. So I had gained some weight and was trying to get back into active mode. And so there was this big driveway. I would go up and down all the time that led up to the property. And this thing was like a, I don't even know, like a 70% grade. It was a huge, wow. steep driveway. And there'd be times when just because you're pushing yourself, you know, no one's around, it's eight acres. You know, I'm like pushing myself and I'm like, ah, like I can do this, you know, just making these grunts and sounds and whatnot. Right, <laughs> so right. I'm out there just doing my thing. And all of a sudden, and again, this is a couple of days prior to the whoop. As I'm exercising, I get up almost to the top of the hill. And by the time I get up to the top of the hill, um, 
I hear someone just flipping out in the woods. In the moment, again, Bigfoot was not on my radar at all, radar at all whatsoever. I thought it was just some like crazy person in the woods screaming, not even screaming, grunting. Wow. This is what I heard. I heard uh, 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 over and over and over. And, and they were shaking bushes and trees. So I'm really? hearing somebody up. Yeah. So I'm, and again, didn't even think of it. Before. So for me, I was like, whoa, I was like, some neighbor is really upset and like just going out in the backyard and flipping out. That's what I thought. I even told my mom, I always catch up with my mom all the time. I was like, mom, I heard the craziest thing. Like somebody was just flipping out in the woods. And she was like, oh, that's weird. I even told a couple friends. So I was kind of glad that I told people because when you tell someone and you go back and, and tell a different story, it's not like you made extra parts up. You're like, hey, do you remember when I told you about the grunting, the weird grunting? Well, a couple days later, we heard the whoop. Sure. So it was just mind blowing to me that once I started doing research about Bigfoot, it all really totally made sense that that was what my encounter was. So, <clears throat> so then I just went off for like a, a year and just did really intense research as much as I could. And at this point, I feel like I've seen every single piece of Bigfoot information there is out there, you know? So, so that was my first encounter. <laughs> and so I, I have a few questions for you. Um, when you say, so you went off and started consuming all this Bigfoot information to try to, to figure out exactly uh, what, what kind of things were you, uh, were you like watching documentaries, reading books? Uh, what kind of things had you run into through that discovery portion? Yeah, uh, it was mostly all online stuff. Um, and so it was, yeah, documentaries, um, uh, BFRO, just mm -hmm. reading reports. I was reading, gosh, just everything I could online about people's encounters specifically. Um, so the other stuff, I hate to say this, but the other stuff I felt like was kind of fluff because with all these documentaries and TV shows and, and not to knock them, I love these guys. I think they're awesome. I think what they're doing is awesome, but I will say for me, I wanted to connect with other people, um, and find out what was going on with their encounters. And so that was the biggest thing for me was like, I guess I was trying to figure out why me, like, why, like, why, <laughs> why all of a sudden is Bigfoot screaming at me? <laughs> so it was a lot of um, just tedious reading online with, with encounters and stuff on any website I could find. Um, and off the top of my head, I can't think of them all right now, but BFRO is a big one. You know, all every single YouTube video I could find, sure. because it's funny, a lot of these videos don't even get a lot of um, views and stuff because people just think it's fake, you know, but when you've had an encounter, you're, you're trying to find a piece of footage or anything that even remotely sounds like what you've heard. So you probably have a much different way of viewing, uh, listening to the sounds when you've actually heard it yourself, uh, as opposed to a person who's just, you know, watching, finding Bigfoot. Cause it's, uh, you know, um, something fun to watch, I would guess. Um, Ron Moorhead, his, his recordings, yes. um, in missing 411, uh, that's what sparked a big, um, like aha moment for me because I watched missing 411, which, uh, at the tail end of it, they show the Ron Moorhead part. Mm. Um, and that to me was the first time I had heard something that sounded like what I heard. And so then I was obsessed with researching Ron Moorhead and, 
and all the originals, all the, um, you know, Bob Gimlin and all them and shout out to all them. Those guys are awesome. Absolutely. So that's, that's very interesting. So let's go a little bit more into that. So you were, you were watching missing 411 and Ron Moorhead came on and I'm guessing this would be the Sierra sounds that you're referring to. Um, yeah. Tell me more about how that reminded you of, of what you heard. That's really interesting. Yeah, because the whoop that I heard um, was so much bigger and larger. And um, so if you're thinking about a sound from like a chipmunk or a squirrel or a small animal, you can hear Mm -hmm. that it's a teeny, teeny squeak, a teeny sound. But this whoop that I heard, although it was very high pitched, it was a large, intense sound that sounded like it was coming from a large cavity uh, body cavity, you know, there was oh, wow. space, there was, there was space to it. It was huge. It was so, um, the lung capacity and intensity and me as an opera singer, I wouldn't be able to hit that note. And I feel like human beings were really great imitators. Um, and so are birds, um, and monkeys obviously were some of the top, like best imitators of sounds. And, um, we can make some really interesting sounds, but um, yeah, once I heard the Sierra sounds, you know, and I had to hop over, like I immediately paused missing 411 and I just hopped right over to, you know, Ron mm-hmm. Moorhead and Sierra sounds and all that stuff. And the more I listened to it, I realized these are the types of sounds that sounded ape-like, um, but large and just nothing like nothing that's ever been recorded before. I just, you can't find, and I, I'm just, I'm so excited I got my sounds uh, recorded, but at the same time, you just can't find anything that does justice to what your human ears actually hear. And I feel mm-hmm. like of all the recordings out there, Ron, Ron's recordings are very close to what we're actually hearing. I'm guessing and assuming because he was in such close proximity to them. That is, that's really interesting. That must, I, I wish I could have seen you when you first saw that in Missing 411. I bet you just freaked out. It's like, I can tell you're a very, you're a very excitable, uh, energetic person. And just to make that connection, oh man, that must have been awesome. Whew. 100%. 100%. I, I get so excited about it because I don't know. I think life is, you know, we, we, we get up, we go to work, we, we brush our teeth. We, you know, take a shower. We go to work. We come home. We eat dinner. We go to bed. We, it's like exactly. life is life. It can get a little bit mundane. And so when something happens to you, that is um, this complete mystery. Um, and and it's not like uh, it's not like UFOs or ghosts or anything. And and hey, I'm not knocking that stuff either. Like I, I totally now after having this experience myself, I can't knock anybody else's experience ever. Um, but mm-hmm. I am saying there's. There's something different about this for me that created such excitement because it wasn't way out in space. It wasn't something intangible. It was something that was about 30 feet away. And I I didn't hallucinate it. I wasn't inebriated and I had a witness with me. And all three of my encounters, I've had a witness with me. And that is so deeply validating And I feel for people who have encounters by themselves because it's so easy to either dismiss it, think you're crazy, think you heard something else, assume it was a different animal. Um, It's easy to like go through that mental process of kind of mentally dismissing it just because you can't figure it out. It's almost just like, I can't figure this out. I should just quit worrying about it, you know, but when you have someone that was there with you and it was also 
pretty life-changing for them too. That's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm through the roof. I'm, I'm so excited because now I know it only gets better because now I'm learning more and more and more. So, and it has, it's only gotten better. It's only gotten more exciting. Yeah, no, it definitely, so the, the cool thing about this interview is we had a pre-interview. So we went through some parts of your story already and it does get a lot more. It gets exciting. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> so you went through all the, in, you know, consuming the media, finding the connection with Ron Moorhead, missing 411. Then, then what happened after that? What, what did we start to get into after that? Well, then it was really mainly about my buddy, Kevin. Um, so Kevin and I grew up together. Um, we went to school together as kids, but we never really were super close. He was like this hardcore punker kid who had like, you know, the, the mohawk and all nice. the, you know, ch chains and the vest. And he was out there. God bless him. Love you, Kev. But anyways, um, you know, we never really like were super close. Uh, but when I moved out to Washington from California, he was actually really the only person I knew out here. And so I was like, um, Hey, I'm moving to Washington. What's up? How are you? Let's, let's, um, say hi and meet up. And so we did. And of course, one of the first things we started chatting about was Bigfoot. And before, you know, when I had my encounter with Rochelle, um, Rochelle lives in Yosemite in the national park, big shout yeah. out to, yes, big shout out to all of them who live out there and work out there because it's not a lifestyle that anyone could easily do. So they're incredibly active, really awesome, intense climbers, um, just great people. But Rochelle is just so busy doing her thing out there that we didn't spend as much time talking about the Bigfoot stuff as Kevin and I did. And Kevin was here, you know, he's, he's here with me in Washington. So we just thought, you know what, let's just go out and let's just go to the place where um, he had his encounter. Let's go to the place where I had my encounter let's just revisit these places that were so um, exciting to us. Um, and so we just started going out and doing, you know, research. We, we would go on BFRO. Well, Kevin mostly would go on BFRO and look for areas uh, where people have reported sightings and vocalizations or even footprints. Um, and we headed out and it was kind of tough because, you know, you come across a lot of these forest service roads that are shut down and, can't no access or the roads are really rough or they're really thin um, and really small, tiny corridors and stuff. So we, we hit it pretty hard. He has a Subaru and I have a Chevy Avalanche and we just went deep in the woods looking for Bigfoot and we really had no clue what we were doing initially, but we learned as we went, you know, you, you've got to remember to have all the batteries for all the equipment, make sure the dash cam is running. Right. You know, we have night vision, but we realize the night vision only shows you a little square. So your actual human night vision is actually better. But how do we record that? What we're seeing, you know, we, oh, yeah. we had to go through all of the all of the learning process. But um, but before I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself because before yeah. before we went out and started running research, um, I actually had my second encounter um, just on a hike. So it was, um, uh, was it last summer? Not last summer, the summer before. <clears throat> it was two summers ago. And I, it, I wanna, this is tough. I wanna tell people where it was, but I don't, um, just for the sake of keeping yeah. Bigfoot in we'll, their, we'll just their keep space. It. Yeah. Keep it, yeah, <laughs> good idea. So anyways, 
Yeah, I'm telling you guys, but but anyhow, so we're uh, I was out there with my girlfriend Katie, my my dear friend Katie moved out to Washington with me. Um, so I guess I should say I had two people out here. I had Kevin, who's my buddy, who's already living out here, and Katie who came out here with me. And so her and I, um, you know, lived in Tahoe together and or near each other. And so she was a big hiker. So we were like, Washington's known for the hiking. Let's go for a hike. And we went on some of the most, I, I would say, the most intense hikes I've ever done. I mean, and I've hiked, I've gone in caverns and caves in Thailand, I've hiked in Maui, I've hiked um, all over the United States, and truly this was the most difficult hike I've ever been on. It was like a, a really, really old mining road that had never been maintained. And so um, we were going deep out there, and I started to find tracks. Now, Katie was not a believer, just like Rochelle was not a believer, just like I was not a believer. Katie was not a believer. She'd heard me talk about Bigfoot a million times. At that point, she was probably sick of it. <laughs> she was just like, I just want to enjoy this hike, but I'm, I couldn't help myself. I'm finding tracks that are 14 inches long. Really? And they're, yes. And wow. they're really, yeah, they really are not supposed to be grizzly in the area where we were hiking. Um, grizzly have slowly been making their way back into Washington, but they're few and far between. And so the area where we're, we were in, I, and in fact, we're, we're pretty smart with hiking. We always check uh, online to see if there have been any um, aggressive cougars or bears or wolves. They actually have a pretty good uh, system online with the Forest Service where you can see if there's been any negative encounters and, and kind of be wary of certain areas, right? So there was nothing really in the area. And so I was pretty shocked to be finding 14 inch tracks and they weren't bear tracks. I, I've been in Tahoe, we're around bears all the time. I've had close encounters with bears several times. I've had a bear false charge me. Um, that's a whole nother story for another day. But anyways, I have a lot of experience with bears and bear tracks, especially in the snow. I should mention this was a snow track. This wasn't a bear track. And so it was a Bigfoot track. So I was just so excited. And so Katie was like, you know, I don't know. It could be a bear. It could be, you know, someone with snowshoes. Da, 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 da. We, we just kind of bounced around some logical ideas. And so I just kind of dismissed it because I could tell she was she wasn't really feeling it. So we headed back. Um, and then on a different hike, um, I started telling her, I was like, look, we're going to be going on these hikes all the time. And I understand you're not a believer, but I really deeply am. And I'm going to need some time on these hikes to do a little bit of tracking because it's important to me. And she's like, okay, she's She's like, let's, let's make it fair. We'll do the first half of the hike is for me, get a good exercise, go quicker, get to the destination, take the photos, have lunch. And then on the way back, you can kind of lollygag and do some tracking. So I was like, fair enough. So on the way back, um, I'm looking for more prints. There wasn't any more snow. So I was kind of bummed, didn't find any footprints. Um, but I found what I believe was an area where Bigfoot were coming down off of this cliffside where there was a cave and I zoomed in, I got footage of it all. There was a small cave and I could kind of tell it was not quite a game trail, but it was an area where something had come through down and the hiking trail was down below, but there was a big giant cedarwood, massive cedarwood. Mm. And there had been something, it looked like the beginning of a game trail. And I thought, oh, okay, something's going up here, but it just dead ended. And so when I investigated the area, something had been standing up there often. And I'm thinking, why would an elk come up here? Because it, it was really pressed down. Like it, something had been there that was big and often. And I'm looking at the area and I'm like, this doesn't make sense because it wasn't going down to the water. 
It wasn't going up a cliffside. Um, you know, and big game are pretty easy to, to track with trails. So it really perplexed me. So, uh, you know, upon doing some investigation, I was like, you know what? This looks like a perfect spot where a Bigfoot could just watch the hikers going on the trail. And he sure, would just yeah. stand right there. And the minute I said, and the minute I said this to Katie, she goes, because I naturally just kind of leaned on the tree a little bit to peek around and watch the, mm-hmm. the spot where the hikers were going through. And yep. Katie goes, look above your hand. And about a foot and a half above my hand was a spot where it looked like a hand had been pressed. Like a palm area, palm, big palm shaped size area had been pressed into the moss to even like further corroborate oh, like wow. our little theory here. Oh man. Yeah. So so then she starts for the first time ever she starts actually humoring me. And so she comes up, I go, just come up here and look at this. I go, does this not look like a spot where some creepers just watching people on the trail? And she goes, yeah, it actually does. And so she's probably thinking a person, you know, but I'm thinking Bigfoot. And so she's up here with me. And I think that's why it played into things because had she not, and these are my own personal theories, but had she not come up there and investigated with me and looked at that area with me, I don't know we that we would have had our encounter because then things got crazy. So we're investigating this area. I pull out my camera. I start taking footage, which I don't, I don't know if they like that or not, but I got some footage and um, it's questionable, you know, and it's almost like blob squatching. That's the term, right? When you get like the pixelated, really bad (laughs) videos and stuff, but I did see. Red circles everywhere. (laughs) Blob. Yeah. (laughs) But I did see when I uh, watched, we watched the video a million times. I did see what looked, what could have been a face up there in the cave. And I'll show you that. Really? I, I don't think I've sent you that one. No, anyways, no, that's, anyways, that's, kind, that's not, interesting. Okay. I'm not one to usually bring forth any type of evidence if it's crappy evidence, because what's that? Sure. It's just, we have so many videos out there of just pixelated, not good videos. So I don't know. It's not I one I've shared it, a whole yeah. lot, but anyhow, so, so I'm taking the video. I'm, I'm showing her all this stuff. We decide to head back. We go maybe, I don't know, about 50 feet or so, maybe further. It's hard to remember the exact distance, but we only went a little ways further. And all of a sudden I start hearing whistling and the whistling was, it was like, it was, it was like a person and, but it was way off the trail. And so where we were walking on the trail, I would say maybe a hundred feet off the trail was like a cliffside. And it was all just this big mountainside, real sheer, you know, not like rock face, but just like really vegetated cliffside that's just nobody's scaling up that you know so it was almost like a dead end so to speak because it was just the trail and then crazy thick woods and then that cliffside so near the cliffside near the mountainside I should say um I hear kind of like a I don't remember the exact tone but it was something like a and me just being playful and just being silly I did it back I was like and then I heard a second whistle. <laughs> I'm a very playful gal, very silly and goofy. Yeah. And, and, and Katie just wasn't a believer. So I was just being a goofball at that point. I was just maybe right. whistling to another hiker or a bird or whatever. So um, there's a second whistle. And the second whistle was much further down the path. It was actually further down the path, just off the path of where we were headed anyways. So I'm whistling, one of them's whistling, another one's whistling, 
And we both, I just look at her and I'm like, and she's like, nah, she's like, those are birds. I was like, yeah, but Katie, these are quite out of place. So I was like, these, we've heard, we heard birds all day. We've been hiking for about six hours right. and we'd heard birds all day, but none of them sound like that. So then I'm looking at her and I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, nah, we keep walking. And all of a sudden we just hear and feel boom, 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 boom. I mean, the ground shook, the ground shook. And our first instinct is we turn around because we're like, there's a bear. What else could shake the ground like that? I'm thinking there's a grizzly running full speed to attack us. And there wasn't, there was just nothing. So we look at each other and I'm like, did you hear that? And before I could even spit it out, she's like, yeah, I heard that. She's like, I felt that. She's like, I felt that in my chest, like in the ground, it made the ground shake. And where it seemed like it was coming from was maybe, I don't know, I would put it anywhere from 30 to 50 feet away, closer to 30 feet away, because for it to shake the ground, it had to be pretty darn close. But it was so heavily vegetated. I pulled out my camera. I've watched the video a million times. You can't see anything. All you can hear is just me being scared. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I put the camera away and we just sit there for a minute and we're like, okay, what do we do? We're like, if this is a moose or a bear or something, you know, trying to intimidate us, we shouldn't be running. We should slowly mm. walk away. So we did. We slowly walked away. I knew in my heart it was Bigfoot. I just knew in my heart. So I had brought an apple with, with me, a gifting apple, because I'd learned a little bit along the way about, you know, Bigfoot in the community sure. and, you know, people gift apples. So I had brought an apple. So I was like, since there's no moose charging us, since there's no bear charging us, I'm just going to leave this apple in case it's a Sasquatch as a sign of good faith. So I left the apple and I slowly backed away and I just put my hands up. And so we start walking away and it was quiet and we're trying to figure out what we just heard. Now, again, she's still a skeptic at this point. So I'm not just straight jumping a Bigfoot because I'm not trying to, I'm also trying to logically figure out what this was. So we look at each other and we're like, do you think that there's somebody out here doing like logging, you know, forest service doing logging or something? But we're like, no, that wasn't a machine we heard wasn't an engine, it wasn't a machine, and it was close. You know, if someone was doing some logging, they wouldn't be cutting down a tree 30 feet away from us. Yeah. Anyway, so we just logically started chatting as we were walking back to the car. Now, the car was less than a mile away, maybe a mile and a half away. Okay. So we're scared, we're a little shaken up, we don't know what's going on, but we got to head back to the car anyways. So we just kind of start talking about it, and she, she goes, could that have been a helicopter? And I was like, no way. She was like, yeah, that'd be crazy. She goes, the only reason I'm saying that is because it was so bassy. I felt it in my chest. So her natural reaction to describe the sound was to go, woo, woo, woo. And for me, just, just out of instinct, I was like, yeah. I go, I felt it in my chest. It went boom, boom, boom. And the minute I beat my chest to, to kind of oh, no. signify I felt it in my chest, yeah. the minute I did that, not a second later, a Sasquatch beat its chest back at us. Wow. Just a freaking like, but again, almost like I described with the whoop, it came from yeah. a massive body cavity. Like it was a massive thing that beat its chest at us. And in the, the second that happened, 
Katie became a believer because she was like, absolutely. Oh my God, we got to get out of here. She's like, we got to get out of here. And so we kind of scurried a little quicker and got back to that car and got out of there quick. And the whole drive home, we tried our very best to come up with something a little bit more logical than Bigfoot. And we couldn't no matter. And we even tried to recreate the sound. We tried to, we got out a little ways down and like way, ways down, but in the same type of forest area, we were like, let's just try to take a stick and bang it against something mossy and see if we can get it to even, I go, stand back there. I go, does this sound anything like what you heard? No. And I stomped on the ground. I go, does this sound? She's like, no, there's no way you're not. I even tried standing directly next to her and just stomping all my way. She goes, I couldn't even feel that really at all when you did that next to me. So we tried so hard to not just jump to conclusions, but to logically discuss for an extended period of time what this could have been. And there's just no other way to describe it. There was nobody out there. We, we checked with Forest Service. Um, that was the only trail that was open aside from another connecting trail. Um, very, mm. I don't want to say very populated, but it's populated enough to where people know that there's no construction going on out there. And, you know, I, I grew up on a construction site. My stepdad, I was a general contractor. So I felt, you know, big, heavy machinery before and how it can shake the earth. And I'm telling you, this was about like 700 pounds of pressure against the earth. And that day Katie became a believer. And so that's when, that's when I moved forward. And I was like, okay, last summer I had my encounter in California with Rochelle. This summer I had my encounter in Washington with Katie. What's next? And so Kevin and I started running the research. We started hitting all those back roads deep, deep, deep in, um, you know, in the Washington woods and the Olympic forest and the rainforest, you know, ho, ho forest. Um, we oh, went nice, everywhere yeah. and, and that leads me to my next encounter, but I'll let you, uh, if you have any questions. Uh, man, that it, it's, it, it's, it's intense. One of the coolest things I think about that story is that through the whole, your encounter story, you see your your friend go from non-believer to okay i'm a believer now obviously after that happened that was wild does does that friend still uh does she do any research with you yeah yeah she has uh not as much as kevin okay um because she works a lot um and i'll be honest it's scary I'll be honest, it's scary. And I think Katie gets a little bit burnt out on, um, on the intensity of it. And so gotcha. she only comes ever so often, but she, she definitely goes, um, she's definitely supportive. Um, big shout out Katie. I love you. Um, she's great, but you know, I think for some reason, I think Kevin and I just were these like adrenaline junkies, I guess, because we go do stuff that is, is scary. It's really, really, really freaking scary. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when you were telling me about what you and Kevin were doing, I was thinking, I've never talked to, I haven't talked to a lot of people that I know of yet where they're going out to the extent that these guys are going. It's absolutely wild. So, you know, let's go into your adventures with Kevin and how you guys really just jumped into it and started going all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess it's like a personality type. I I don't know. You know, before all of this, um, before I became an adrenaline junkie for Bigfoot, I, 
I was an adrenaline junkie for cliff diving. You know, I've done paragliding. I did free diving. Um, I guess it's just in me, you know, I'm an adrenaline junkie. And so I, mm. I try to um, do it in the most healthy ways possible. But, you know, it is, it's scary because sometimes we're out there in the woods and it's pitch black. We're not using flash flashlights and in the middle of nowhere and you're just going off of your own eyesight your own instincts um and I, I guess the reason why we do that is because look at how often people have tried to film bigfoot look at how often people have tried to get the footage and and look how much they're struggling we're all struggling with it so sometimes you just have to leave all that stuff and go out there and connect with them. And I really am an advocate for the Goodall method. You know, Jane Goodall is truly one of my biggest um, idols. I, I don't really idolize many people, but I think her work was so incredible. And throughout this process of learning, I look up to her the most because I wanted, I want to do what she did. I want to fully immerse myself in the behavior learn how to communicate with them, um, earn their trust and just, just be around them. Um, if I could do that, that's my life goal. You know, that is my lifelong goal because how else can you, how else can you connect with any, you know, with wildlife photography in general, these people are deeply connecting with these animals. You know, you're not just going out there with a camera and clicking a few photos. You're deeply connecting with their habitat and their soundings and, what they have to deal with and, you know, the, ex the exposure to all of the elements. And, and so I think for me, um, a big part of that adrenaline, like conquering that fear is so important because if I can get out there and not have my heart pounding and not have my palms sweating and feel more calm and more connected, you know, perhaps I'm putting up, putting out a different energy and maybe that's a better mode to be communicating because I mean, if I'm going to be, checking out a, a cougar in the wild, would I want the cougar to be really intense and ready to pack out? <laughs> right. I'd rather the cougar just right. kind of be hanging out and doing his thing, you know? I mean, yeah. what kind of encounter would you rather have? <laughs> so. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's, and, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> when you, let's say you keep, you keep going after this, you keep going after this, and you have, you know, you have that really good encounter. You're able to discover Bigfoot. What's your What's your absolute goal with all of this, Chanel? What would you like to see happen through all of this at the very end? Yeah, that's a great question I've been asked before. And, and sometimes I feel like that kind of evolves for me mm. because um, that question is evolving for me because I feel a huge pushback um, from from certain agencies. Um, I don't want to go too deep into that because I want to be careful what I say, but right. my, my, my long-term goal is evolving. Um, but what I will say, number one, first and foremost is it's all about them. I want them to feel like they have their lands and that we're not encroaching or interfering in, you know, their, their mating season or their hunting season or, you know, whatever may happen, um, with, with how they're moving and traveling or migrating. Um, I think it's so important for us to be able to educate people on when those times of the year are and what areas we should be avoiding. So for instance, um, if Bigfoot are coming into an area that is highly trafficked at certain points in the summer because there's huckleberries or 
because there's a great peak that's got a beautiful view or right. whatnot. If we can dial in and figure out what times of year Sasquatch are really utilizing these areas and need these areas for their own survival, um, there has to be a way in which we can tell hikers and get a community of people that care enough about that species in that area to say, yes, I am willing to respect this area and I'm willing to go somewhere else, somewhere that's probably just a drive away that's maybe just as beautiful, but isn't interfering in their way of life. So I guess ultimate goal is species protection and um, yeah. and making sure, you know, their habitat stays stays intact. That's really cool. Almost like a uh, ground roots uh, conservation effort. Totally. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you and Kevin have really started to do some some wild stuff. Because I know the audio that is coming down the line in this interview. And I'm curious how you guys, got, if that if that recording was something that happened right off the bat for you, or what's the what's the journey from starting to do stuff with Kevin, and then you have this other very interesting audio encounter in the uh, in the future. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think it's so important to keep up with these timelines because as time goes on and my head becomes so filled with other um, information, mm. it is important to revisit this stuff because um, I do need to create a timeline here. So, um, yeah, so we, oh gosh, we, to be honest, we were pretty fresh. Uh, when we got those recordings, we had gone out, I think at that point, yeah, now that I think about it, I was really serious about logging our hours and tracking our hours. And so at that point we had hit, I think it was an 80 hour marker that we had spent officially 80 wow. hours driving up and down roads, going to encounter sites, um, looking for footprints, tracking, going da, 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 all everything. Right. Um, but then I lost track because at this point we're probably at like 2000, 500 hours. I have no idea. We're, we're way beyond 80. So I yeah, started yeah. losing track. But yeah. I think, I think at that point we were, we were pretty fresh. We were only like 80 hours in and that day um, was a really long day. When we got those recordings, we actually got the recordings at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and it's so funny because my three biggest encounters for some odd reason, it's like right when I'm about to leave. So you are in the area of, you're on a road around Mount Rainier, right? Yes. Okay. So you had been driving around those roads all day long, um, trying to record things. At the end of the day, you started hearing sounds, I'm guessing, outside your vehicle or walk me through like how you first started hearing these sounds that you got on audio because they are quite interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, this is my favorite story to share. It's my okay. favorite encounter because it was so, it was the scariest day of my life. It was the most intense, visceral, crazy day of my life. And again, I've jumped off of cliffs. I have swam in the ocean. I've kayaked six miles in the ocean and done free diving in shark season. I mean, I've had some high adrenaline moments in my life. But this encounter I'm about to tell you about was so 
like overpoweringly fearful for me that I actually almost fainted. And wow. in the recordings, you know, you, you've got a great little snippet here, but in the full um, un, you know, unedited, just full audio, mainly the whole thing is me having like a complete and utter panic attack and you can hear it. I mean, I was losing it. I, I was absolutely terrified when we, when we drove away, um, I almost passed out. You know, I started mm. seeing tunnel vision. My fingers got all tingly. I, oh, wow. so, um, so <laughs> forgive me if I get a little worked up, worked up yeah, when I tell the story so. because it, it's so intense. So, so the day uh, was a big day for us because it was our first official trip to Mount Rainier. And so, you know, it was a couple hours drive for us and we finally get there and we get out and stretch our legs a little and um, Kevin has a drone. So we were flying the drone around. And um, so Kevin uh, suffers from a disability, which um, doesn't allow him to do a whole lot of walking or hiking, which okay. is really, really unfortunate. Um, but he's working on it and hopefully he's going to be better soon. But anyhow, he'll kind of do something when we decide to split off where he keeps me safe by watching me from above. So he was watching me from above with the drone, just kind of watching my back. And we had walkie talkies and we had, you know, we were fully protected. We had all of our gear that we needed to be protected and all that stuff. So we kind of separated for a little bit. I did some tracking down uh, near the river and Kevin was flying the drone, watching and everything. And, and so we did some just basic sightseeing. And then once the tourists kind of started leaving for the day, because it was a really busy, I think it was on the weekend. So it was like a really busy time. So we kind of wanted to wait for all the tourists to kind of clear out. And so once it started becoming evening time and everybody was heading down the mountain, we headed up the mountain. So we wanted to avoid traffic as much as we could and get away from all the tourists and stuff. So we drove the whole entire Mount Rainier as pretty much as far as you could go. And we tried to go off on a side dirt road, but it was closed, of course. And so we just kind of got out along the way. And this is really silly, but I have a term. Uh, and I don't even know if it's appropriate or disrespectful. I don't even know. I, I learn as I go right. here, but we find it quite funny. We call it chumming. <laughs> we call it chumming. So yeah. we chum the area where if we want to have an encounter, I am hanging my head out the window and I'm whooping. I'm doing Sasquatch calls. I'm doing my best to, to imitate Sasquatch calls, you know, obviously going off the wrong partings. <laughs> right. So I'm, I was chumming the whole day. Every stop we made, I was like blowing my voice out. I was whooping and hollering and whistling and just making a ruckus. And my, my whole thing, the reason why I do that is because these areas that I know I'm going to be frequenting um, often, I kind of want to have like my calling card. I, I would love to go to an area and down the line, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, the Sasquatch here. And they're like, oh, that's Chanel. She's here. What's there? She, there's that crazy right, lady, right, you know? Yep. So yep, that's, that's I've started cool. doing my signature Sasquatch call everywhere I go. I'm not going to do it for you today. But, <laughs> but anyways, I, uh, I was doing that Sasquatch call up and down the mountain all day long. And we had to call it a day. We were like, how long can we sit here at Mount Rainier and scream out the window and stop at <laughs> locations right. and, you know, hear the echoes and all this, like, we got to go. <laughs> at that point, I felt like a crazy person. I was like, what am I doing? Is this research? Like, what am I doing? So I was feeling really foolish. We were going to call it a day. We were heading down the mountain and just for fun, we had 
called the, so the first road that we went out on was actually the road that Kevin was the most excited to go to. And it was really one of the, I don't want to give too much away here. Okay. All, all to you, how much um, you want to give I'll away. I'll just put it this way. One of the first roads we went to, we called he. Yeah, exactly. It's got to, got to be careful here. Um, so I want to respect yeah. the locals live in that area. And I don't want a bunch right. of people going out there to do what I did. <laughs> yep. So I will say that one of the first roads we went down, we called it Heejeebie Road because it was such a creepy road. So that was one of the first roads we went down because Kevin Day, he really wanted to take us somewhere cool in the beginning just to like set us off. So as kind of a way to end the day and button up the day, he's like, do you want to go down heebie-jeebie road one last time for the night? And then we'll head home. And I was like, that sounds about right. You know, it's, it's like coming full, full circle. So, so we did that. So we went down to the very, pretty much the very first road we went to that we selected. Like we, Kevin's really good about carefully selecting areas that he thinks have like a good Canyon area okay, or a good yep. echo area, or, you know, he finds these geographical features. He's really good at, um, where, yeah, like rivers and streams, their byways and stuff like that. So, so he picked us out a, a spot. So anyways, we, at the end of the day, we went back to that spot. We went to Heebie road and we barely even were on the road for two minutes. And that's when we heard these sounds that I recorded. And I got to tell you, this recording, I'm so excited about it. And I'm so proud of it. And I'm so happy I got it. But it does no justice to what our human ears actually heard. And so it just goes to show how incredible our auditory capabilities are. Because mm. what you're going to hear in the recording is, I would put it at a, like one-tenth of the actual sound we heard. Sure. So just imagine when you're listening to this, that it seemed way closer, way loud, absolutely terrifying and very clear. I know this will sound a little distorted because it was just my cell phone. I had my cell phone ready to go. And I thank God stuck it, barely stuck it out the window. I was, I was too scared to stick my hand out the window. Okay. I barely even rose it up to the window line. So what you're hearing is, is a little distorted, but go ahead and play it. And it's, it's going to get me going. It was, it was crazy. Most definitely. Okay, here we go. Okay, that's not going to work. Shh. Kevin, turn around. Please turn around. No, hold on. I'm scared. I would have so many questions after hearing that. I wouldn't know where to start. I'm going to ask you some questions about that, if that's all right. It, man, it's just, it definitely affects you when you hear that recording. Even though you're saying, yeah, the quality doesn't even hold a candle to what you heard, it still affects, it's got a weird dissonance to it, you know? Um, what time of day again, approximately, would you say that recording was was taken when you were driving around? It was around approximately 11.30 p.m. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned the drum beat because it actually was, it was somebody uh, in like a cabin nearby partying. 
So okay. what we're actually hearing is the people who were in the cabin, like playing music and like partying. Um, well, I shouldn't say partying because we couldn't really hear people's voices, but we could hear okay. music faintly. So it seemed like either a cabin or maybe someone's vehicle. Um, and they were playing music, definitely playing music. But what we were hearing was beyond that and traveling past it. That's how mm, intensely loud okay. these sounds were. Like I can almost guarantee whoever was there at that house. Like I wish so badly I could get in contact with whoever was there that night and be like, did you hear that? <laughs> because there was definitely some people playing some music or something going on. And, and in the moment I thought those people were being attacked. I really did. I really did. So you're saying that when you hear that audio, there's a part where it's almost like a chorus, like the voices are doing a chorus type thing. I don't know if you've if you interpret it that way, but it's just it's very weird. I might even play it again. Um, now that I know that background of there yeah, could be some, yeah. Let's have a second listen to it. It's very interesting. Why don't you play it again, and then I'll kind okay. of. I'll kind of break down to you vocally, like what I heard. Perfect. Okay, that's not really works. Kevin, turn around. Please turn around. No, hold on. I'm scared. something else okay so i'll kind of give you my little breakdown of what okay. we heard and what you're hearing um okay so the the big first sound that you hear um is almost like a grunting growl so the best way i can describe it in reality was it sounded like a bear mixed with a diesel engine and it was going and so that's what you're hearing in that first portion that maybe you're referring to kind of as like a chorus because it repeats it goes it's almost like they were all it was it was like a chorus they were all doing it together and they were all doing their own sound and i believe there were four of them so the biggest one had to have been the one that had the bear voice because it sounded massive and it was guttural and and like an engine, but like a bear. And it was very repetitive. And now, again, I've had many encounters with bears. I've had a, fall, a bear false charge me. And when the bear false charged me in Lake Tahoe, it did make a sound, but he did, you know, one sound. He did like a, like, get out of here. I'm eating this garbage. This is my garbage, leave me alone. And he kind of did like a one, two. He was like, at me, you know, just to kind of be like, back up. I have never in my life heard of bears just going on and on and like I've never heard of that in my life but it, it's what it sounded like now so that was the big one sounded like this big diesel engine bear just going over mm. and over and over and then and then the parts that really terrified me bad and the part where I said is that someone being killed it was this in 
intense, high-pitched scream that was like a blood-curdling, like, like it sounded like someone was being ripped limb from limb. So in my logical brain of not understanding how to process these sounds, I thought a camper was getting eaten alive by a bear. Wow. But that doesn't make sense. Like even, even if you listen to it and break it all down, it doesn't make sense because again, you, you mentioned you're hearing these drums. Well, the music, that bass and that music was not nearly as loud or intense as this screaming. And so I just don't think the screaming was human. <clears throat> I just don't think there's any way that screaming was human at all, but it did sound like a grown man screaming. And then the other sound you're hearing is really tough really tough to pick up in the background, but the other one is like a snarling. The other one is like a like, like, again, I have a background in vocal training. And so I learned about the shapes of the mouth and the sounds they make. And this thing, you could hear that its lips were fully pulled back. You could hear it had a massive mouth and you could almost hear the teeth and the exposure of the teeth because it was like, like it was just so wildly intense and then the last little portion that you're hearing is really really hard to hear but it's the subtle background noise the whole time and I don't quite want to call it chatter because it wasn't like chatter but the best way I can describe it would be like when a dog is ripping up a chew toy and they're making that like sound and i'm sorry forgive me i'm being really yeah. goofy with all this stuff and i'm just trying my best to describe but it no, was it's almost awesome. like that sound of something just being ripped and shaken and, and so mm. that's the combination of all the things you're hearing there in this in this wow. recording and and again it, it was so loud and we tried testing screams i went like 45 feet away from kevin and screamed and he could barely yeah. hear me because of all the density really? of the forest and you know oh wow yeah. so this so this was so loud that there's not even a way a human being could scream that loud for and and the only part that's a little frustrating is kevin and i have very differing ideas of how far away we think it was he believes it was quite far away maybe even potentially like two to three miles away mm. um i don't i think it was like a football field away i think it was very close but it's really tough. We don't know. All we have are these recordings and our personal experience. And I'll tell you what, that to me, I took it as a grand display because for some reason they had chosen to make this grand display, whatever they were doing. And I don't find it coincidental that it was on the same day that I had been hooting and hollering around that entire mountain. I just totally. don't think it was a coincidence. Wow, that is intense. That is so, 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 so intense. And I really want people like uh, uh, Chris Spencer and David Ellis from the Olympic Project uh, to just tear that audio apart and look at it and see what they can they can find. Hopefully, you know, you're able to to get um, files over to them or or you know. I'll leave that part up to you, but yes. that would be really cool to have that analyzed for sure. Oh man. Um, that I would such, love such to have cool it analyzed. Story. Like anybody, anybody who can help me get that analyzed, I would love that because if we can uh, pinpoint maybe even 
I don't know, the, the sound signatures or the octaves or the, the vocal range and prove that it's not even on the same level as most humans and animals, that would be great because, because yeah, what we heard, it's just uncomparable to anything I believe that I'll ever hear my entire life. I could go to the zoo and not hear that. We will definitely uh, talk afterwards to figure out some sort of contact method for people to get in contact with you. Uh, because I know some of those guys listen to this and yeah, they, they got to contact you and yeah, just get some, some sound analyzing done. But wow, that is if man, what a crazy, crazy story. And this, the thing <laughs> is you guys are going out all the time, right? Like you guys are going out multiple days yes. a week. That's a, people need to be aware of that too. We took a little break here for the winter um, uh -huh. because we really didn't want to disturb any any of the winter wildlife. Um, you know, you can you can go in the wrong area at the wrong time during the winter, and, and it's a really crucial time for the wildlife out here. So we took a, a pretty big break, even though I really wanted to get some snow tracks and some snow footprints. Um, sure. We've taken a big break, but we're head, we're already headed back out for the season. We've gone out a few times now. So, um, okay. yeah, we're going to be getting back to at, at least twice a week. Very cool. Are you making any uh, uh, gear improvements or um, any um, upgrades to your arsenal out there gear-wise? Totally. Totally. My partner, Kevin, I call him Top Tech Kev because he gets the top tech. He just, <laughs> yeah, Kev. he's got something new all the time. He, he's constantly upgrading. So at this point, what have we got? We've got a dash cam that runs at all times. Um, we've got the full floodlight system, just in case we don't, obviously don't run all the time, but just in case we need to get some good footage, floodlights on, um, he's got the night vision, uh, he's got the drone, um, we have, and for safety reasons, we have all kinds of safety equipment, obviously like all the first right. aid stuff we need, but, um, That's you know, we have to account for bears and cougars, oh, bear sure. spray, you know, we are legally armed when we go out there, um, and the, the coolest thing that I'm so excited about that Kevin just upgraded is he got thermal. So we now are rocking thermal imaging and I can't wait to get, you know, some really good hard evidence out there. For yeah. you guys. So um, I just went live on my TikTok for the first time this season, had a lot of viewers and stuff that are pretty that excited cool. about the that, thermal that imaging. So cool. I'll yeah. keep you posted. <laughs> Very cool. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see as you guys get, you know, uh, out into uh, the outdoors again after, you know, winter starting to clear up. Are there other ways that you're trying to get uh, information about the Bigfoot in the area that you're at besides going out and doing field research? Yes. Thank you so much for asking um, because this brings Do you up like a how really... I led, I led into that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's so much information I have that I want to share. Right. So thank you for bringing that up um yes so kevin uh reached out to fish and wildlife so washington fish and wildlife um is working with us and we feel very honored and very excited that they are sharing documents with us so uh, under the freedom of information act uh, kevin requested any and all documents pertaining to bigfoot sasquatch or skunk ape and let me tell you, they responded and said there were more than 90,000 documents. And so we had to refine our search. Absolutely. And so now we're getting documents. 
So now we're getting documents in pieces. Um, so I think we get like 50 at a time. So we just went over uh, the first 50, which I'll admit there's not a whole lot there right now. And um, I have a lot of theories that I want to go into and discuss with people that I have to be really delicate about um, in I terms of yeah. certain age, agencies and stuff. But I do want to touch up more on that because I think it's incredible that they're working with us. I think it's incredible that they're cooperating with us. And that is something that's really lacking in the Bigfoot community is you know, the official documents. Um, we have all the reports in the world because people have encounters all the time, but having right. these documents officiated by a government agency and, you know, something like Fish and Wildlife saying, yes, we do get these encounters. And yes, we do receive these reports on a regular basis. That's huge for people to know. It's huge for people to know that these are not just people, weirdos, you know, out in the mountains hearing weird stuff. These are actually avid hikers and outdoorsmen Absolutely. who feel so strongly that they've had an encounter that they're contacting government agencies. And so, wow. um, yeah, so that's really big. So, and I also, my next goal this next summer is to work with uh, the university out here. And I really want to try and get some grant funding so that we can get um, more equipment and better equipment. That's awesome. Regarding the FOIA requests. So was that for the entire state of Washington? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. That it's, yeah, that's a lot of information. So I'm going to ask questions and anything that you don't want to answer, just shut down because that's how interview works, right? Okay. <laughs> um, have you gotten anything substantial out of those that you can share? Not yet. Okay. Um, not yet, because we've only gotten the first phase. And I have so many theories of why sure. we haven't gotten anything yet. Um, it's pretty frustrating, but not yet. Right now, we're looking at a lot of fluff. Right now, we're looking at like fluffy email links that are not clickable anymore because, you know, they've just been shared and it's in the database. And so if, you know, we're getting a lot of like fluffy emails and um, just kind of like gossipy talk or like sarcastic talk in between, um, okay. you know, um, or service agents and stuff like that. So, but again, and this is only phase one of what 90,000 documents. So I'm hoping there's wow. juicy stuff in there at some point, but to be honest right now, it's a very tedious process of just reading a lot of like junk emails which is kind of frustrating that they're even sending us junk emails. That's my biggest question is, why are you guys sending us junk emails? Why are you guys not just sending us the reports? That's my question. Just a question. Yeah, it's a good question too. It, it almost leads to maybe some other questions. Like, so I've never done a FOIA request before, but it's like, how specific do you have to be in order to not just be bombarded by just, you know, potential garbage, but, um, Hopefully I can answer that question sometime in the future for myself, but, um, man, so pretty much just emails at this point is what you're getting. Yeah. A lot of emails. Um, and you know, it's interesting because there's only one mention, uh, of Bigfoot on the official Washington. Um, I believe it's the fish and wildlife website. I believe I right. could be getting this wrong. It might be a different website, but there's only one mention of Bigfoot and, when you're reading the article, you're really shocked because you're reading the article and it reads as if like they've acknowledged that Bigfoot's real. And you're like, whoa, like, am I, am I on the official website? 
And so I was really shocked to read that. I'm like, wow, are they admitting that Bigfoot's real? And then at the very end, it tells you uh, April Fool's. It's an April Fool's yeah. puff piece. So I almost kind of wonder, I'm like, what's up with these like fluffy, puffy things we're getting? Um, mm. It's odd to me because they obviously know that we're requesting official documents um, for research. And obviously we're not allowed to use these documents um, for any other purpose other than research, which we're sticking to that, obviously. Um, but it's just shocking to me that they, um, they have the ability to communicate with us and adjust these search terms and adjust these phrases in order to help with our research. But they're really not doing that, which I understand. They're not going to bend over backwards for us. I, I get that. I just find it odd that we are getting so many um, just bogus emails. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's extremely interesting. I think that I think if you're diligent with going through everything with a fine tooth comb, there's got to be something that they're going to let slip through, but they're going to bank on that. You're going to get tired and you're not going to catch it. That's my guess. But, you know, <laughs> seems like you guys are pretty into it. Not so. letting anything. Good. I'm not. Yeah, totally. And I'm not going to let anything slip through the cracks. I'm doing a lot of I, I'm personally doing a lot of side research um, that really has nothing to do with uh, these specific emails and documents we're getting, because I have a funny feeling that in order to have some of these things make sense, we got to really think outside the box. And I'll just say it. I, I, I have, haven't really shared this theory a whole lot, but I really feel like at this point, my topic and the way it reads and the way we're receiving things and the way it just comes across and what they can share with us, um, because the Freedom of Information Act is specific that they can essentially share what they want based on national security or based right. on security. Again, my biggest thing is now I want to start approaching this as that we're dealing with a classified is completely classified and so we are going to get a ton of fluff all, yeah. if, if not all fluff marshmallow baloney fluff but yeah. i have to wade through it because even sometimes among amongst sarcastic emails you can get pieces of information and and hopefully maybe contact people for interviews my biggest thing that i'm banking on oh, yeah. is interviewing people that work within the forest service which i already have done some interviews um, and i have shared on my tiktok some of those undercover uh, little secret interviews that i did that forest service employees are admitting some pretty crazy stuff so so thank you for bringing that up because <laughs> i i what else can kind I of went through everything on your account and um that is just, it's a really interesting video because yeah, you have to disguise the voice, but can you give anything um, about the story behind that, how you got set up with that person? I know you probably have to be very vague or you might not be able to say anything, but. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Cut out there. Um, yeah. Obviously I want to protect people. I don't want anybody to lose their job. I love what these people. Right. People are doing, um, these are great people. I have friends working in the Forest Service and um, for the park, national parks and stuff like that. And so I would never want to jeopardize anybody's job. But I will say um, it was pretty at random. I didn't, didn't 
Um, I didn't go out of my way to randomly started asking questions often. Um, I didn't want anybody to um, prepare themselves for anything or come up with anything. I wanted to get people's candid reactions. And so yeah. those interviews, those interviews that you're hearing are literally just me striking up conversations with people, asking questions and getting, um, getting some answers. Wow. That's wild. That's wild. Uh, it's a, it's very interesting. I'm going to have your TikTok and the, <laughs> feel uh, like show notes so people can check that out for themselves. Definitely. Yeah, totally. I feel like we've got to start approaching um, Bigfoot, you know, in a, a different, at a different angle. Um, I have so much respect for all the researchers out there. And I have so much respect for or put in all this effort because you guys have given me all of this information. And now I want to work with that to help the process that I'm sure has been such a long process with very Absolutely. small stepping stone Absolutely. progress. And I really want to help that. Um, and approach it from a different angle. I think Sas the world of Bigfoot and Sasquatch for a long time has been very male dominated. And so bringing the aspect of femininity to it, maybe a softer side and um, a gentler side and maybe a sillier side, a more lighthearted side, less um, intensity and a little bit more just, let's just focus on the research. Research is a beautiful thing. Research helps us with mm. so many things all over the world. Um, shout out to all the researchers in every aspect for everything. So I just want to help this community as much as I can. And if that means going out and interviewing a thousand people, I will. That's awesome. Chanel, uh, as we, as we start to, to wind things, I want to make sure if there's uh, anything that we haven't uh, touched on yet, that consider this, that may be a last call, uh, but it has been a, a super fun interview, very enlightening. I can see, uh, touching base with you guys uh, maybe in a year or so, because you're going to have way more updates. But uh, any closing uh, thoughts uh, before we head out from this uh, conversation? Well, thank you so much. I'm so elated and happy and excited information with people. And I'm really grateful for people like you that help get our, our word out there and all of our efforts. And um, thank you so much. And everybody who's watching. That's awesome. And Chanel, one last thing. Uh, how can people keep up to date with uh, what you're doing with your Bigfoot research? Yeah, for the most part, um, I try to take breaks from social media and I don't I don't like to share my social media too much, my personal social media, but my TikTok is where I go live often. And the lives are really fun because it's it's totally can't our thing. So you can um, follow me uh, on TikTok at Cluphoria. Um, and I used to do some fan fiction stuff, so I've kept that up because I don't know, if you like the TV show Euphoria or if you like Stranger Things, like I'm kind of a nerd at heart, so that I'm leaving that stuff up. Um, it's that's part of cool. who I was, you know. So yeah, nice. that's there. That's but cool. um, but for the most part, that's where you can find all my stuff. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, have a great rest of your day, and we'll be uh, catching up Thank with you. you later. 
Thank you for listening to Bigfoot Society. If you like the show, please review and rate it five stars on iTunes. Hit the share button and send this episode to all your friends on social media. Subscribe to Bigfoot Society wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't cost a thing. Pick up a Bigfoot Society shirt or enamel pin over on our Etsy page and people will tell you all about their Bigfoot sightings when you wear it. At least that's what people tell us. That's what happens. If you'd like to become an official member of Bigfoot Society with a membership card, a community of like-minded individuals, and extra content each month, then please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by going to www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. Thanks for listening.